we've been taking some time and and talking about this idea that we are family and and uh, we've been really delving into the the spiritual aspect of of God's very intentional and purposeful design that that man is not supposed to live life alone that we're supposed to be interconnected we're supposed to be community we're supposed to be the body of Christ family we're we're built for this and uh, in a world that really pushes us the other way to autonomy and in individualism and even seclusion, uh, this is really God's heart, is that we would be together in this. And, and, and today I want to look at, uh, man, a beautiful kind of section of Scripture. These, this actually takes place over several chapters in the book of John, and so we're just going to kind of skim around a little bit and highlight some things. But if you want to go there, uh, we're going we're to be around John 13. Uh, think, in fact, we, I think we start in John 16, but just right around that place. And, uh, and, and so this is uh, the evening leading up to the, the, uh, the betrayal, the arrest, and the crucifixion of Jesus. Uh, he is taking time uh, with his disciples, with his family, with his friends. And, uh, and in this time, what he's doing is he is, uh, he is communicating the responsibility, is entrusting the responsibility of this community that he has been working on, building, developing for the last three years. He is entrusting this to uh, a, a bunch of ragamuffins, uh, these guys who just kind of are not qualified, that really don't have their acts together at all. Uh, but he is basically entrusting the, the New Testament, New Covenant Church to this group of guys. And so this is sort of the baton, the baton being passed. So this evening has a lot to do with Jesus just uh, encouraging them to keep this going, to, to keep uh, the, the mission alive. And, and obviously it worked because here we are, and uh, 2,000 years later. And so this, this is a, a Holy Week that we celebrate every year around Easter. And uh, this particular evening we call Monday Thursday. And uh, we call it Monday Thursday because Monday comes from the Latin word mandatum, which means is where we get the word mandate uh, or mandatory. And uh, it, it just it, it, it's a new commandment. It's speaking to the new command, the new mandate that is on uh, Christians. Uh, Jesus fulfilled the law, closed the book on the law. Praise God for that, and then gives us a new command. And so, and, and we'll touch base on that. In just a few minutes, um, this is an action-packed evening. Um, if you read through it, if you look through, if you got kind of the red-letter edition of the Bible, you'll see a lot of red letters uh, through these chapters. And Jesus is is talking a lot, and he covers a lot of ground. Jesus covers the the, the vine and the branches story. This is the Lord's Supper. Uh, he washes the disciples' feet. He covers a lot of territory. And, and just to give some uh, clarity on, on the importance of what's being said and what's happening in this time, uh, if you look at the book of John, if you read through the book of John, uh, the first 12 chapters of the book of John cover roughly uh, three years of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And so chapters 1 through 12 of the book of John, roughly three years of Jesus and his ministry. Uh, then you get to chapter 13, all the way to uh, chapter 18, like halfway through chapter 18. So you're looking at chapter 13, all the way through chapter 18 and a half 
This, this section of Scripture covers one night, one evening. Uh, that is the, the power and the potency of what's happening in this evening with these guys together. And so, um, so much of this time, just to kind of broad brush it, and this is a summary that, that uh, you, you just realize as you read the context and what's, what's being said, but so much of uh, this time is, is Jesus focusing on two different things. And, uh, and, and, and everything he says sort of fits in these two different categories. Uh, the first thing would be uh, how this group of guys will be affected by the world. Or, or uh, how the world could affect these guys. The other thing that he focuses on is how these guys will affect the world. Or are called to affect the world. So first, how the world can affect us. And I think we can all identify with this. And so this is where we'll start. This is John 16, uh, verse 33. And so just one, one verse here. Uh, Jesus says this. These things, and this, he's talking about the whole conversation that he's having with them. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you will have peace. In the world you will have trouble. That's a, that's a promise of God that we can bank on that is not exactly encouraging and uplifting and... <laughs> And I love when people say, hey, we got to stand on the promises of God. I totally agree with that. And this is one of them. In this world, you will have trouble. But he doesn't stop there, thank God. We can take heart because I've overcome the world. And so uh, he goes on to say in, uh, in John 15, or previous to this, he says, uh, he tells them that the world has hated him. The world has hated Jesus. And the world will certainly hate you as well. The world resents Jesus and the world will resent anyone that follows Jesus. He says in chapter 16 that uh, those who want to kill Jesus, uh, it, they, they think that they're doing God a favor in killing Jesus. So this is a very uh, angry, volatile culture with lots of problems. And, and the promise is you will have trouble in this world. It is a broken, fallen, fractured world. And uh, it will be difficult. But the promise is you can take heart because I've overcome every bit of it. And I think the significance of what's happening, they're meeting together at the time of Passover. And Passover was a, is a, a, a Jewish um, celebration. It is uh, a custom built around celebrating when the angel of death passed over the God's, God's people in Egypt, the Israelites, and, and so they were spared. They, 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 speared, they smeared uh, this, the animal's blood on the doorframe, and, and, and the angel of death passed over. And so because they were inside for that evening, they were inside behind the blood, behind, behind the, the safety of this, this, uh, this door, they were eating together inside, they were spared for one evening. God protected them. And, and really, this feast of Passover is, is bigger and better because Jesus is saying, because of my blood, you're going to be protected and safe forever, not just one night. So in Christ, we have security, safety. I can't think of a more stressful and anxious moment ever. Uh, you, you're talking about Jesus, uh, the, our, our hope, uh, the Savior of humanity, and uh, our only hope, and uh, he is promising that he is going to be arrested and killed. And so all hope is lost. We, you can fast forward to the, 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 the followers of Jesus on the, the road to Emmaus, 
afterwards. And Jesus, this is after the resurrection, after the crucifixion, and Jesus kind of rolls up on them incognito. And uh, he's like, what are you guys down about? What are you sad about? What are you talking about? And they were like, have you not watched the news? Our team lost. And, and Jesus is like, buddy, do you, do you guys not read your Bibles? I mean, no, we, 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 we didn't. And so uh, this, is, this is a very tough moment. We've all lived in a place of just overwhelming anxiety, nerves, fear, where you, you can't sit still, you're trembling, you can't eat. And what does Jesus do in that moment? He's like, guys, we need to get together and eat dinner together and, and take some time. And so this, is, this shows the priority of what he's doing, is that even in the midst of, of the most anxious, stressful, depressing moment, and these, these individuals, these disciples, young lives, Jesus sits them down, he washes their feet, he preaches the gospel to their hearts, and they eat dinner together. It's beautiful. Uh, if you go to John chapter 13, this is Jesus taking time to wash his disciples' feet. Yeah, uh, but anyway, starting chapter 13, verse 3, this is how it goes, and we'll talk about it for a minute. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, he got up from supper, and he, he laid aside his garments, and, and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel which he, with, uh, which, with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter, and he said to him, Lord, uh, you, do you wash my feet? Yeah, Captain Obvious. Thanks, Peter. Yep, that's exactly what I'm doing here. You're watching me. Did take, how many guys uh, did it take before Peter's like, you washing feet? I've washed ten guys' feet, Peter. Thanks for picking up on the, on the clues. Uh, Jesus answered and said to him, uh, what I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you, for he knew one was uh, going to betray him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. So when he had washed her feet and taken his garments, he reclined at the table again. He said to him, do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should also do as I did to you. Truly, I say to you, truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is no greater than his master, nor one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed in if you do them. Um, this is a, uh, a very culturally specific activity. And uh, this is a very period-specific activity. This is not something that we would be accustomed to. Um, now, a, a lot of people put this moment, this activity, in the same exact category as communion, uh, as the Lord's Supper. And so they, they, they kind of put those two things in the same exact place. 
Uh, these are activities that we're supposed to do for each other. And so now communion, and we'll talk about more, that, more about that in a minute, it, is something we still do. We, we all eat. We still eat. That eating is not, going out of, is not going out of style. It's not going out of fashion. It's something we do together. Now, foot washing was something that was very specific for the time, for the moment. And uh, if I say, hey, buddy, you want to come get some food with me? You say, okay. But if I say, hey, you want to come over and put your feet up and I'll wash your feet for you? A little awkward. It's a little, <laughs> a little weird. So uh, there, is a, there is a phrase that Jesus uses that, that kind of gives you a, a broader sense of, of what's happening here. He makes a statement. You don't understand this now, what I'm doing now, but afterwards you will. This is something that we com- he's communicating. He's almost acting out a parable. And so what he's doing is not necessarily an activity that we're supposed to ritualize and turn into something that we do. He's actually, he's speaking to something broader, bigger than that. Uh, It's in a different place as uh, communion is. It it holds a different place. And what Jesus is doing, and the focus is not us, the focus is who's doing it. Jesus, who is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, he is God incarnate with skin on, is kneeling down and doing the role, doing something that only servants do. It's an activity that no one wants. In fact, these guys typically, so, so we're back in the day, we're walking around on, on dirt roads uh, wearing our, our, our Tevas or our Birkenstocks, and we're, we're walking through dirt and camel patoopy and all kinds of things, stuff, nonsense. And so you go into someone's home, and so you go to have dinner. Uh, there would be normally someone there who would kneel down and maybe wash that person's feet as they come into the household, or you would just do it yourself. And so it's not something that, that the guest of honor would do for everybody else. It would be typical for maybe these disciples to even wash each other's feet. But it hasn't happened. So no one's taken that role. No one's done that thing. And so Jesus takes the, that place and takes the place of servant. So this is a, a huge picture of this unbelievable humility that Jesus carried. He lowers himself to the place of humility, uh, that of his servant, and he washes their feet. And this is something that overwhelms Peter. He's like, he can't, his brain cannot, cannot fathom the, the God of the universe washing his feet. And so he, he makes it a thing. And so people would say, well, that's, that's a noble thing for Peter, Peter to do, and say, no, 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 Lord. Uh, but but it's, not, it's, not, it's not necessarily humility. It's, it's something else. It's almost like he, he's just not getting what this whole thing's about. It's almost like he's confronted with Jesus being willing to do this. Would he be willing to do this? So Jesus makes a statement. He says, buddy, uh, this, is, this is what I need. To, if you don't let me do this, if you don't let me serve you, then you can't really be part of what I'm doing here because it's about me serving you. The, the, the the, the God of the universe, the Son of Man, did not come to be served, but to serve. In fact, if the question is, how do we serve Jesus? In this moment, Jesus is showing you how to serve him. And what does he show us to do? To wash each other's feet. If you notice, Jesus never once says, wash mine. Now, it doesn't mean that that didn't happen. 
there was there was moments in time where uh, just if you look at the story of this 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 woman this uh, lady of the night barging into a Pharisee's house where Jesus is having dinner, she beelines Jesus, she lunges at his feet, and the Bible says she washes his feet with her tears in her hair, and it was almost this moment where uh, in her overwhelming. Uh, gratitude for his love and his kindness and his forgiveness. This is her response. But he tells his disciples in this moment, what I want you to do, continue this forward, is, is wash each other's feet. Now, again, he's acting out a parable. What, what is he getting at? Well, he makes a statement. He says, you, Peter says, wash all of me, or wash my head, wash my hands. He said, you're, you're already clean. You're, already, you're, you're, you're not fighting for cleanliness. You're already clean. Now, what he means by that is you're saved. You're made righteous. You are made whole. I think we're, uh, a lot of us grew up in church, I certainly did, where I thought uh, you get saved and you hit the reset button on the Nintendo. Anybody have a Nintendo growing up? You hit the reset button because you messed up and you want the perfect score, so you hit the reset button. And then you try again. And you fail, and you hit the reset button again. So it's just always kind of this fresh start, continual fresh start. And depending on where you are, when you go home to be with Jesus, hopefully you've repented for the sins that you've done between resets. That is not at all what Christ did at the cross for us. What Christ did was so much bigger and better than a clean slate in a, in a divine mulligan. This is... Once and for all, Jesus has taken our sin. He became sin so that we could become righteous. Jesus was the lightning rod of judgment. A once and for all sacrifice. See, the Bible talks about the Old Testament sacrifices where you had to continually... No priest could sit down because their work was never done. You had to continually make sacrifices. It was never a done deal. And then the Bible goes on to say Jesus was a once and for all sacrifice. Having done that for us, He has sat down because it is finished. So your sins, past, present, and future, are are, are not only just forgotten, they're forgiven. And, And not only that, it's not even like they're looming over your head that Jesus might readdress these later. Jesus took those sins... See, I think a lot of times in, in our world, it's natural for us to, to in, our, in our brains, cast ourselves as litigators. And we're, we're litigating who's righteous and who's a sinner. And so in our self-righteous sanctimony, we will go around and we'll say, sinner, sinner, saint, sinner. And this sin's really bad. That sin's not that bad. And we have this very convenient blind spot that happens to be ourselves. We, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good. But that guy, <laughs> hell's hot. You got a reservation, pal. <laughs> good luck with that. And we think there's scales of sin. Like there's a sin rating system. Like five stars, three stars. It's like Yelp. But if you read the Bible... I can't find any sort of scale of sin of what's bad and what's not. It's not even back here with the maps. I don't even know. Where do you find that? Sin is sin. The definition of sin is just falling short. It's missing the mark. And the Bible says that all have sinned. 
all have fallen short. All have missed the mark. No one is without sin. No one is good. No, not one. So we're not litigators. We're the defendants. We are the defendants. And I hate to break it to you. You've been found guilty. And so have I. We've all been found guilty. Which is scary and ominous. But that's not the end of the story. In fact, what Jesus is about to do in this very moment is go to the electric chair for all of us. He, is, he says, I know they're guilty, but I want you to transfer their identity to me. I want to become Chris Stapleton so that Chris Stapleton can be completely innocent as me, as he is so am I in this world. So Jesus, Jesus takes my place. He takes all of the, the, the judgment upon himself and is executed not just for me, but as me. So as the law is concerned, in, in which the law would be the accuser and, 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 and basically condemn us because the law is a perfect standard of a perfect God, the law is the condemnation of humanity. As far as I'm, the law is concerned, I am guilty and I missed the mark by uh, miles. But as far as the law is concerned, I am legally dead. So I've already been, I've already, and there's a law of double jeopardy. You can't be tried and executed for the same crime twice. It's a done deal. It is finished. That, those are the people, and that's the right standing that Jesus is talking to these guys from. They are already clean. There's no outstanding debt. They are 100% righteous. But, he says, you walk around on a, on, in a broken and fallen world, you get a little dusty. You pick up what the world has, what the world offers you begin to get some of that dust on your feet. This is why, speaking of that, some of that dust in this world is being offended. Offense. You pick up offense. And this is why Jesus says to his disciples, hey, listen, if you go to a town and they reject you completely, I want you to knock, knock the dust of offense off your feet. So what does he do? He, he, takes, he takes the water of the Word the gospel, and he kneels down and washes our feet. He reminds us that we're clean. He reminds us that we are, have right standing. And I think it's impor- important to consider that what he's washing is our feet. Right standing. Uh, in fact, when we talk about the ar- armor of God, we, we talk about feet shod with peace. We, we stand in perfect peace with God. Jesus is reminding his disciples that you're righteous. He's knocking the fence off, the, the cares of the world, the worries of the world, the dust that we accumulate in this world. Now he says, I want you to humble yourself to do this for each other. Humility means living outside of yourself. Not just preoccupying yourself with your own stuff, but humbling yourself to the point where you consider others. And to say, we are a community that washes each other's feet in the water of the world. We remind each other that God has done all that there is to do and that we are righteous. Whatever we're going through, we don't, we don't, we don't offer you know, Christian cliches 
and canned responses. We weep with those who weep. We mourn with those who mourn. But in, at the end of the day, we are here to remind each other that Jesus has done all the work on our behalf. So that, he's modeling this. He's, he's giving this beautiful picture that is humility and that is a, a commitment to wash each other's feet. Now, this, the, the, the timing is significant if you think about it. Uh, if you go back to Luke's account, Luke gives a conversation that sets up this move. And the conversation that the disciples are having right before Jesus gets on his hands and, hands, hands and knees and washes their feet is the disciples arguing about who the greatest is. Which is such a silly argument to have. I think I'm the greatest. I think I've got the greatest resume. I think I've done the most for God. I think God's most pleased with me. And Jesus says, guys, you're missing it. You're missing the whole point. That is not what it's about. So he shows them what this is about. So moving on. Communion. Now, the, the, the kind of the, the sequence of events here is that the way that John kind of alludes to it is that this is washing the feet happens before the meal. Uh, and so, but it, it doesn't matter what the, con, what the sequence of thing, events are. But uh, they have a meal together. They break bread. Now, now, Jesus takes something that's already significant spiritually and culturally, and he adds even more significance to it. And, and what this meal would be. So uh, if, you, if you read through the ministry of Christ, a lot of the criticism that he receives is from Pharisees, self-righteous people, uh, getting very angry with him for having meals with sinners, with blatant, outed sinners. And so they come up, and instead of seeing Jesus confronting and addressing their, their sin, he sees them enjoying their company. Now, this is where the, the fuse box in our Christian brain starts to kind of fry a little bit. Instead of Jesus using his, his authority to, uh, to pin people against the wall and let them know how bad they are, the focus was instead how good he is. See, I think we, we, we've got in our brains that we can only help people overcome their sins if we rub their nose in their sin and let them know that they're bad. As if the leverage over sin is understanding our own badness. The only leverage we have over sin is the grace of God. That is it. In fact, the the Bible says the law, which tells us that our sin is bad, was given for this reason, that sin might increase. Sounds extremely counterproductive. But it worked. You tell someone, hey, don't you dare walk in the grass. I, being the rebellious sort that I am, and my parents know this, will river dance on that grass. Tell me not to do something, and that is exactly, that just became part of my to-do list. I, there is a rebellious thing in us. And, and saying, listen, saying, don't you dare is almost throwing gasoline on the desire to do it. Forbid something and see, see if people will stop doing it. The law forbids, thou shalt, thou shalt. And then Jesus said, here's, here's a different move. I tell you what, I'll do it all. And then I will love you right where you are. Let's see what that does. And the Bible says that that grace actually gives us dominion over sin. It helps us overcome 
sin. It's amazing. It doesn't make sense because it is not of this world. Grace is otherworldly. It doesn't make sense. So Jesus sits down with sinners, and this is the, the problem of the Pharisees. You're sitting and you're eating a meal with them, and what that symbolizes at that day, in that point of, of, of time, it symbolizes unity. Because they break a, a, a whole loaf of bread together and they all consume, and it, it is a symbol, a spiritual symbol of oneness. So you only ate meals with those that you completely approved of and completely accepted right where they are. Because you're basically endorsing them and, and saying, We're family. And Jesus did that with the worst of us. And people had a problem with it. So in this moment, Jesus takes something that's already very spiritual and says, we're one in this. And then he says, I want you to keep doing this. I want you to make this a priority. So he just prioritized serving. And now he's prioritizing sharing. I want you to serve each other. And I want you to share with each other. Share life, share meals, share bread, share finances, share resources, provide for each other, be there, be present, be family. La familia. Be family. We read last week in the book of Acts that this continued. People kept doing this. This was the New Testament church. It was this simple. They got together in the temple, they worshiped God, they heard the word, and then they got together in their homes and they ate dinner. And he says, I want you to continue to do this in remembrance of me. That word remembrance is a very interesting word. It almost, it, it, it means to reenact. So it's almost to, to reenact, to recapture the moment where we are reminded that we're in this together. That what the price that Jesus paid so that we could be part of this. That we could be together in all of this. So this was sinners with the sinless becoming one. And on this night, this is the interesting thing. There was, the world was shut out. This was, this was a moment, and the Bible says, communion's for believers. We share in this together. This is not for the, just anybody and everybody. This is for the family of faith. This is family dinner. In the rest of the world, in all its chaos, it was falling down around, everything was falling down around them. That was shut out. That was on the outside. But on the inside, there was peace. There was home. In this world, outside of us, we have trouble. But we can take heart because he's overcome all of it. Jesus encourages his disciples to keep doing this, to keep, to keep coming back home to this place where we're reminded. Now, uh, with that is, again, we're washing our, our, each other's feet with the water of the world, uh, re- reminding each other that it is finished, that Jesus has done all the doing. But also sharing in, in the fruit of that labor, sharing in the life, the Zoe life that God gives. In, in that moment, we are reenacting and recapturing the beauty of why Jesus came and died in the first place. Jesus said, I came to give life in life that is more abundant. He didn't say, I came to give rules. I love Matthew 11. It's one of my favorite scriptures. And the Bible says that, are you tired? You burned out? You're weary? You heavy laden? He doesn't say, come to me and find more rules. He doesn't say, come to me and find uh, more things to put on your to-do list. 
He says, come to me and find rest. Rest for your souls. Uh, there, every time you read the Bible, any, any section of Scripture, um, it'll hit you different based on where you are in your life and what you're going through. And I'm reading this, uh, these chapters this week. Uh, my wife and my daughter and I, we, we got a couple days away. Uh, we went to Huntsville, Alabama, the thriving metropolis of Huntsville. And uh, we stayed in a little cabin in the woods and ate good food, and we just kind of played for a few days for fall break. And I took a moment, and uh, I went out, and I got, uh, I got a bagel for lunch, and I went to Starbucks. <laughs> no way. Um, they do have them there. And um, I sat down, and I read these chapters a few times over and over and over, and it hit different this time. And, and, it, and it hit different because I'm different, and, and I'm facing different things. And I, the last thing I want to do is make this conversation, this message about me. I'm not going to, but I am going to point out two things that hopefully uh, speak to where you are. And uh, these are two things I, I, didn't, I haven't really considered much. Um, number one, in this moment, Judas walked out. Uh, this is a, a guy that is easy to vilify and demonize and, and make him the, the icon of evil, like he's Skeletor in this story. I'm Skeletor! He's evil. So bad. But I, I looked at it differently this time. I looked at it from Jesus' point of view. How brokenhearted was Jesus that Judas left? How much did it affect him? He loved this guy. He didn't tolerate Judas. He loved him. In fact, he went to the cross for Judas. He hung from the cross for Judas. Love put him there. So Judas walking out, I'm sure shattered Jesus. Because he wanted him to be a part of this. And, and it, where I am in my life, it, it, it spoke to something that I have to learn to deal with. And that is, people leave. People, the people that are in our lives don't always stay there. And sometimes they move on. Sometimes it's offense. Sometimes it's just broken relationships. Sometimes it just, it just happens. It's just like a weird gravitational pull that, that pulls people out of our life. And, and uh, my wife, when we got married, there were some negotiations that happened when you get married uh, about number of children. My wife came in with a number, <clears throat> I think it was 47 And my number was one. You see who won that? I'm a pretty good negotiator. Um, but in the process, she, she showed me her heart on, on uh, basically fostering children. And she talked about that. She said, you know, I, I think it would be beautiful to foster children. And I, I looked at her and I said, Sonia, you're, you're going to kill me. I have serious attachment issues. I love as deeply as I can love 
and to to in there's a special grace for fostering i i it is one of the most beautiful gifts that i've ever seen anyone do and i admire it deeply and the people that do it are champions and they are heroes and they're way better people than i am because i could not do it cuz to to walk to watch that child leave my home oh there's a lot of things about church that remind me of how unqualified I am to do it. Uh, there's a lot of qualities that I'm confronted with that I possess or don't possess that remind me that I am not probably the best person for this job in my own estimation. Not the least of which is my attachment issues and the attrition that happens in church. And in doing this here for the last 10 years to to give your heart and go all in and for people to just stop, disappear. Oh, it's hard. So I'm reading this, and it is not to demonize anybody, and I'm not, I'm not even demonizing Judas. I, I think it's important to kind of move our focus off of the badness and just, just look at the humanity and the brokenheartedness of Jesus just to say, I, I want you here. Warts and all, flaws and all. It doesn't, you don't have to be perfect, just here. Um, but again, this is not about me. I think we all have these moments where those relationships can ebb and flow, come and go, and, and we're left kind of having to sort through that. Broken relationships. Divorce is hard. It is hard. And I've walked with some of the most amazing people who have had a journey through that, and it is soul-wrenching. It's difficult. And I think in this moment, Jesus is showing us he identifies with that, and he's with us through that. It's not something he's unfamiliar with. The second thing is from the disciples' point of view in the fact that they have given everything to follow Jesus. They left everything everything behind they in essence became something completely different than they had been to be part of what Jesus is doing I mean Simon got a new name new identity I mean these were fishermen these were tax collectors these are attorneys or or, uh, um, uh, doctors physicians these are people who, who were doing their thing, and that thing got interrupted divinely by God, and then they were, uh, drop everything, follow me. And they gave themselves wholeheartedly to that. And now the person they gave themselves wholeheartedly to is signing off. It's piecing out. He's saying, guys, I'm leaving this with you, and I'm not going to be with you. What? I mean, you, this, this, is, this is scary. And you realize, it, these are young men, these are probably early 20s, young men who have been handed the most important thing that, that humanity has ever been handed. I want you to go make disciples of men. I want you to carry on the family of faith, the church of Jesus Christ. I'm entrusting this to you. Uh, they've never done it. 
They've only watched Jesus do things that they normally, 95% of the time, didn't have a clue what he was doing anyway. It's all a mystery. But they, they had him to lead and guide them. They trusted that. And now, for the next leg of the race, is going to be completely different. Everything changes tonight. Everything. Uh, we, we reach a moment in our lives, all of us, 100% of us, where what we have been, what we were, ceases to be to some degree. The, the qualities of our lives that we hung our hat on, it goes away. I used to be the, I, I used to be the kid I used to be the young punk kid in ministry, and now people look at I'm the old head. I'm the, I'm the old man now. I used to be Daniel's son, and now I'm Miyagi without the wisdom or the bonsai trees. I, the things that you were have to change. Even if it's going through retirement, it changes. We, we, we find so much identity in what we do when that's gone, or even changing careers. It's almost like you, there's, a, there's a fear of starting over. Um, empty nesters. That's big. It's a big deal. You, you give yourselves, and there's nothing more wholeheartedly or all-encompassing than parenting. Nothing takes more of you than to parent. And then your identity sort of becomes that. And then they go. And you realize you're faced with this reality. The next leg leg of the race is going to require some changes. And that's scary. And I think we all hit that. Even if you're young, you're thinking, well, I'll get, I'll get there. I'll cross that bridge when I get to it. It, it happens quicker and, and, and it's more difficult than you could even plan. Even if it's just a loss of a family member or if it's, it's, it's going through grief or it's, it's a, a change in your, uh, your, your, your dynamic with friends and relationships and job and career. It just, you, you hit that left turn and it's, you're like, where am I? And this moment, uh, like never before this week, captured that for me and showed me, reminded me, it's going to be okay. Because for every step that you take, God meets you there and he provides for you. And not only that, and this is what I'll end with, if you go back to the mandatum, the mandate, it is the mandate, what this whole night's about, really, this is why we call it Monday Thursday, the whole night really is encapsulated in God's heart to his disciples, guys, this is it. I'm going to read that to you. If you want to go there, it's John 13, 34, 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The mandate, the mandatum, 
the, the new command. This is Jesus' heart. I want you to do this. Now, in doing this is the promise that no matter what you experience and what you go through, you're not alone. Jesus is there. He meets you there. He's your ever-present help in time of need. But He also, in, he, he grafts us into the family of faith. And this is Jesus saying, guys, this next leg of the race is going to be hell. He says it. In this world, you're going to have trouble. They hated me. They're going to hate you. They try to kill me. They're going to try to kill you. This world is resentful of my plan and my kingdom. It, is, it rejects it. But you stay the course, and this is how I want you to stay the course. This is him setting the course. Love each other at all costs. Don't quit on it. Don't give up on it. Don't bail on it. Lean in. Love people. And he doesn't say that's open to interpretation. He says, love others as I love you. And he shows that love. While we're yet sinners, Christ proved that he loved us, that he died in our place. No greater love has anyone than this, than to lay your life down for someone else. Jesus is about to show us what love's all about. And that is completely, selflessly giving ourselves to this. It's beautiful. And it, and it encourages my heart. Because honestly, I'm looking at this and realizing, and, and I know these guys felt the same way, I don't have the goods. I don't want to wash people's feet. Feet are gross. I don't really want to eat meals with people on a regular basis because I'm an introvert. And I'd rather eat in my lap as I drive. I'd rather eat a a Mexican pizza from Taco Bell because they're back, baby. Hmm, Holla. Um, I don't really... I'm busy. I got stuff. I... This month, October, my wife and I were looking at the calendar last month, and we were both looking at each other like, oh, God help us all. It is full. It's like October was a a 10-pound bag, and then we put 30 pounds of stuff in it. Um, But something in the middle of this month is happening in my heart. Yes, I'm busy. Yes, I got a lot going on. But there's something in me that's doubling down on this. I'm like, I don't even care. I want time with you. I want space to walk through this stuff, to cry together, to talk together, to dream together, to plan together, to hope together, to talk about each other's lives, to talk about our kids and and our marriages and in our jobs and our futures, I, I am doubling down because you know what? At the end of the day, Jesus didn't say, hey guys, get out there and, and the job and the hobby. And the, he said, no, no, no. Here's the mandate. Love each other. That is the top tier thing. That's number one. And everything else has to fall behind that because that's the command. That's the mandate. And not only that, it's what we're made to do. 
And so if we're looking, if we're having a bit of an identity crisis where we are right now, which I got to be honest with you, I am. I'm having to kind of relearn what I am and who I am at a new stage of life. I'm hitting 45 next month. God help us all. But I'm learning that that identity is in Christ, in me, not in me doing anything. So may we double down on the priority of what we're created and built to do. And that is to love each other to the point where people notice, oh, that's what Jesus' people are about.